So serious podcast. I am your host Brandon, and Rashani's back with us for another movie review. But today we also have a special guest. We have Charmaine from the what do you call it now? The Mixed Girl Network? No, what do you call it? No, my network is Main Hustle Media. Main, Auto, Main Hustle Media. Yeah. What's, going on? <laughs> what's up? I had to get it right. I had to get it right. But um, you didn't. I know. I, was, <laughs> I, know. I thought I had. It. <laughs> No, I, was, I had to get it right before we moved on. I was going to be very upset. I couldn't play it off. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Charmaine, for coming on. And today we're going to review. Uh, it's been a while since we all saw this, I think. But no, one of you just guys just saw this, right? Yep. I uh, saw last month. If, I saw last week. Oh, yeah, I saw last month, too. If Bill Street Could Talk, uh, another Barry Jenkins directed movie. Uh, a woman in Harlem embraces her pregnancy. While she and her family struggle to prove her fiancé is innocent of a crime. Uh, this film stars Kiki Lane, Stephen James, Regina King, who won a Golden Globe for this. Uh, Coleman Domingo, Michael Beach. Uh, very, uh, Brian Tyree Henry's in this film. Um, Charmaine, I'll start with you. What were your overall thoughts of this movie? I loved it. I mean, I thought it was it was really you know beautifully put together. I loved how there was really no darkness you know, in the scenes, even though it, everything had kind of an amber light to it or something like that, like something that was warm, even though there are parts of it that's really painful. I just, yeah, I just thought it was beautiful. I really did. It was long and it was slow, but it was beautiful. Um, Shani, what about you? Uh, you ever see a uh, movie that you don't know what it's going to be you you have an idea what it's supposed to be going into it because everybody's saying that you should have an idea what it's going to be going into it but you really go into it with your eyes closed because they don't really have any credits or premieres for it or anything so you're just taking word of mouth and then it actually is what they said it was going to be but you don't know what it was going to be like people are just saying it's an amazing movie and you go see it because Everybody says it's an amazing movie. And then it's an amazing movie. You know that feeling, that good, clean, just awestruck feeling like you just saw something magical? Yes. Um, it's happened to me twice in my life. Once was when I went and saw Fury Road. Oh, really? And and yeah. And and when I went and saw that, I, I my mouth was open the entire movie. Mm. And the second time was if Bill Street could talk. I thought it was everything about it was just poignantly perfect. It was it was a strange feeling afterwards coming out of it because not a whole lot of movies do this to you where you kind of write out the feelings, you know, as yeah. you're walking out the theater, as you're going down the escalator, as you're walking to your car, you know, whatever. It's like it was just kind of being like I think that's why I kind of focus on that all the the lens the lighting was always like an amber like a warm amber light because it felt like the movie felt like a warm amber light 
you know, like kind of like a, a, a I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, There's nobody, just something really beautiful about nobody it. Nobody shoots black people like Barry Jenkins. Like right. The camera angles, the lighting, from everything, he just shows off like the different skin tones of different. Every movie he does, at least this in Moonlight, he said different tone black people, and they all look good. All yeah. of them. And no matter what the scene is, if it's dark, if it's light, if it's indoors or outdoors, nighttime, daytime, he some he somehow he just brings out the best in our skin, and it's just. Really, really beautiful to watch. But I saw this film, and uh, I saw it early. And it was a. I went to this place called Bethesda Row, which was. Uh, it's in like the suburbs of Washington D.C. and it's like the expensive suburbs of Washington D.C. So Montgomery County is the most expensive county in the United States because all the super high ups and the and working politics live out there. And so mm-hmm. I went to this place called Bethesda Row, which is kind of like this boutique theater where they have like this bar, and it's not like a sit down theater kind of like just this boutique theater where they play all types of like uh art house films and things like that and i get an early screening and, and the whole theater is basically filled with critics and old white people like old rich white people like 50s mm. eight and older and so i walk into it knowing this is going to be a really black film with all these uh older white people and but the good thing about that part of town is although there's racism everywhere it's a pretty liberal town so the ones who were watching it seemed to react to the scenes in similar ways that I did, which was good to say. So I just had to bring that up about seeing the film. But when mm. I'm watching the film, I'm watching it, and it's one of those films where they typically do a story like this and make it torture porn. They basically yeah. show the pain mm-hmm. of black people and make the film about the pain of black people. And so that when white people go see the movie, they go, oh, my God, I feel so bad for these black people. And it's almost hitting them over the head with the pain so much that they forget to show the light. And I think Barry did a very good job of balancing the real consequences of sexual assault, the real consequences of racism, along with just like the joy of two young black people loving each other. And how. Yeah. And I thought it was done very, very well. And he handled the, that balance in a way that I'm not sure many directors could, especially given the time frame that this film came out. Uh, with the Me Too movement, everything else going on. So often you hear these fucking dudes on Twitter and on TV and media saying the Me Too movement is going too far. Or they'll say, like, what about false accusations? And their what about false accusations is always like, this evil bitch is going to lie on me to get me in trouble. And the way this film handled it was very delicately to show that, yes, a false accusation can happen. But just because it happens does not mean that the woman who made that accusation was not assaulted. And they handled right. that very well. Um, what did you think about that, Charmaine? Um, yeah, these movies do tend to be a little tough because I, I am a whatever survivor, victim, however you want to put it, of, of sexual assaults. Um, and so I can't help when I see something like that, that it doesn't make me start to think of my situations and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's just kind of a natural thing that happens. But I I find myself very frustrated on a regular basis of, of people who, who can't really accept that, um, like, how difficult it is to prove things have happened to you or, or, or how, like, 
confused you might be about what happened to you, whether or not you can identify a person again, things like that. And that it's easy for, and I think they did this in the movie where it was the cop who persuaded, basically, I think she has a line, the the victim um, character had a line where she said something like, he told me it was, it was him yeah, or something like that. Right. Yeah. So, so, and I feel, I feel like I understand this situation, even though it wasn't exactly what happened, quite what happened to me. And I just like, you feel the whole, you feel everybody's pain in that situation. Like you can understand the, the fear that that woman must have in addition to what happened to her is maybe even going against the, cop's opinion is a whole nother level of assault that she experiences right that the fear or the threat that he may have given her so that she chose this particular black man um the pain of regina king in that moment knowing that she has lost her ability to save her son-in-law and you know what's happened to the son too so like i think what i loved about the movie is that it didn't sugarcoat any aspect of it but at the same time it didn't it it didn't torture us like you said torture point it didn't torture us with every element it allowed us to feel all the feelings that were present without it being here goes another black movie uh, period piece about black suffering you know, it's just it was just a different it's so weird like it wasn't a normal black suffering movie there was it was a movie about love that happened to have black suffering in it and i think that was what was kind of magical about it now, Rashani, did you? I kind of got the illusion that they were trying to. I what I picked up was that the police officer might have assaulted. Um, what was her name in the film? Ro, um, Maria. I forget the the character too. Victoria, Victoria, that was played by Emily Rios. Did you kind of get that, or what did you think about how they handled um, that part aspect of the film? I think that. The way that they handled that part of the film to me was that that cop had a grudge and had an opportunity. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that he assaulted anybody. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say that they portrayed him as a confrontational cop who was shamed or was ran off from doing what he wanted to do, which was bully a black woman and a black man. Um, And so when he saw his opportunity, he got revenge. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't deign to speak on what was going through Barry's mind when he wrote that. I, I, and, and as far as the sexual assault situation in the movie, it was heartbreaking on all sides. Yes. Um, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to try and make a whodunit out of this movie. I I really wanted, this is a movie where I, I wanted everybody to be okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted, I, I wanted them to find out who actually did it, but I wanted Maria to be okay. And I wanted everybody to just come out on the other side. And this movie was honest. Like it, it's not always like that, you know, and, and we'll still be okay. Like, I think that this movie was to me, it was more about the support that we should have 
for our kids and for black women and for women who have been through sexual assaults and 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 and, and issues with men doing horrible things to them because on the other side of the coin Regina King went to Puerto Rico to find Maria and instead she found her she found Maria's dad who was like yo mm-hmm. I'm going to ride for my daughter no matter what and so that's two different races of brown people who are historically shown as shiftless mm. saying I'm going to protect and watch over my my children no matter what but even on uh, top of that at the same time both Regina King and Victoria's dad both understood the other side. So yeah. Regina, uh, Victoria's dad initially was like, no, I don't want to put my daughter through that. Like, she's clearly suffering from some type of post-traumatic stress. And But Regina King basically said, like, I just need to talk to her. Like, I, I believe your daughter, but I just know that it wasn't my son-in-law. And so for, like, our life's sake, can you at least give me the opportunity? And he did it because he uh, he felt what she was feeling and the best part about those scenes in puerto rico although they were relatively short in the grand scheme of the film i think everyone in every theater that sees this movie felt that emotion in those scenes because all the actors and actresses in those scenes through their facial expressions and the dialogue just brought out just pure emotion and you can and this emotion that's interesting because there's no it's not like oh i'm rooting for this to happen because it doesn't seem like there's a win to come out of this situation. And speaking of that, I, th- I saw some like some critics who did like the movie, but one of their critiques was that the cop, like that nothing triggered the cop to be racist or something like that. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's such a white, that's silly, that's such a white, mm-hmm. like that's such an old white or like a white privileged way of looking at it because. I mean, that's just blaming black people for the reason white people hate them. Well, That's yes, silly. or even more so, like, they were, not even that more directly, what I was reading, it was more like, there was not like a triggering event, like some misunderstanding or something, and then he freaked out, because, you know, that's usually how they portray it in the films, it's like, oh, I could have possibly, like, there's a reason for me to think this happened with this black person, but because I'm racist, I'm going to go all the way and assume it's that. As opposed to, I'm just going to go fuck with these two black people just because. And so a lot of people are like, that, well, that doesn't seem plausible. And, I'm, and I like how this film was like, no, racism That's... is the villain of this film. Like, yeah. racism is what, because at the end of the day, the thing with Victoria was also that not only was she assaulted, but she's also like of Hispanic descent. So clearly she doesn't, at least from what I gather, like her... They're not treated all that great in New York by the cops either. And so yeah. she has that balance on that side. And then the balance of the black people not being treated well by the cops on top of the sexual assault that happened. And it was just all these confluence of things that had to be balanced very, very delicately. Because we've seen it with other films this this cycle and in the past where you they don't have the people with the nuance to handle situations like this. Um there is a scene, we're going to talk about different scenes, but there's one scene that I wanted to transition to that I wanted to get your opinions on. So, um, Charmaine, what did you think about the scene um, when um, when Tisha's parents invite uh, Vonnie's parents over and Ooh. they're talking about the baby? 
this one was this was actually to me one of the rougher scenes. Be, besides seeing the the grossness of the cop later on, this scene was one of the roughest scenes to me in the whole movie. It because of the mother of Fanny, who commits that thing that people just do of it's got to be the girl what caused the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, my son. You know, my son's not trash. My son's gonna do whatever. Blah blah blah. But but still somehow not even being willing to see that it's that this relationship or this child could be a positive in in Fonny's life like it was she was the worst kind of ugly that I think you get in this movie and I just remember kind of shaking you know through it because I've I've I know that woman I've experienced that woman in my in my life and and she, she, I mean, she did it so well. She was, she played that role, and the sisters as well were were also. Oh, um, yes, and the sisters. <laughs> uh, but then, oh, good, my bad, good. Uh, but then, when you get when Tiona, um, and I forget what Tiona's character in the movie uh, was called, but when she stands up for her sister and her sister's Ernestine. boyfriend, like she stands up for Ernestine. Okay, when she stands up for both of both both of them, and like this is my family, and we can go if you know if if you need to be this way like that that kind of brought me out of like the moment of just deep depression and pain that i felt in seeing this woman tear you know tear down the family tear down everybody because of her own feelings and also i got things about the whole god thing too so um so when tiona stands up though that that's one of moments that i think are like one of the most um triumphant ports parts of the movie where it's just like see that's that's family that that's a representation of family that we're supposed to have and i really love that part what about you rashani um the point where she tells her mom that she's pregnant from that point until they leave out of that room at the 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 Fonny's mom and and sisters leave out of that house. I've seen that happen before many, many times um, as women or men who were once a different way but then found the Lord Uh become absolutely all in on the Lord and decide they can fix their mouths to talk any sort of way. Mm-hmm. And have indoctrinated their children to also think that they're right in their offhanded beliefs that they're pushing upon other people. You could see in that scene a few things. One of the things that stood out to me the most was how Fani's dad, without even saying a word, was telling them, my wife is full of shit. Oh, yes. And I apologize. Now, if he had done it without putting hands on her, I would have applauded. Right? If they could have done that in some form without him putting hands on it, I would have just been like, mm-hmm. Him, smack, her, him smacking her was not necessary to show that she was out of pocket. Right. We all knew we she knew was so. out of pocket. But, but was that but the this time? this book was written by James Baldwin back in like a time where I guess being misogynistic was okay. Right. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking yeah. when I when I saw that part is that that was probably a continuation of the book and I haven't read the book yet. But when I do, if that part's not in there, I'll be talking with Barry. <laughs> um I thought that I thought that 
I keep stopping to think because this movie brought so many things to me because I've experienced so much of this stuff. I thought that that scene was powerful. Mm-hmm. I thought that the family unit was so just, it, I almost cried. Like it was, the emotion was palpable in that, in, in that moment. Um, the fact that her sister said, unbow your head. Oh, I have gosh. no shame for this child. Mm-hmm. The mom was like, we're drinking. And when the dad was like, we're wet, he, she was like, we're drinking to this child. Yes, that the scene, support. I love how they contrasted the scene with Tish's family and the scene where mm-hmm. they were all together. Because mm-hmm. so often, like that, the scene where they were all together was done better than a lot of movies. But you've seen that scene before in black TV. Like, you've seen the scene where, like, the black teenager or early young adult, like, tells the parents that they're pregnant and, you know, the dad flips out and, you know, is super, like, my baby and, you know, that guy's going to get it, you know, that type of thing. Or you've seen the scene where they have the super church religious person, like, shame a girl for being fast and blah, blah, blah. But what you don't often see is the scene where the young woman lets the family know that she's pregnant and they go you know what this is probably not what we planned but you know what we're gonna make it work and this is a good thing we're gonna bring joy to this child's life when it comes in to this world and i think that was very good to see on the big screen with black Mm -hmm. people specifically now the part where um where um colin domingo's um character uh, I mean, not Kyle DeMichael's character, uh, Michael Beach's character uh, hits Mrs. Hunt, because they didn't give her a name, by the way, which is funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just Mrs. Hunt. Um, yeah, that was completely uh, out of hand, but I like how they shot it, because they shot it in a way for you to still think that he was out of pocket, because Tisha's dad like immediately was like, bruh, come on, man, and get out of here, and took him out to, like, talk to him i guess so they they wrote it in a way to still show you that he was wrong but they kept they kept shooting him and so if the if this is in the book what they what it is I'm, I'm looking at it right now it's directly from the book yeah so cinematically the way they did it was every time she would say something more and more hateful they would switch over to his face and they would just show him boiling and boiling and boiling and like rashani said back in that time like that's unfortunately that's something that people would not see as a bad reaction in 2018 i when it came when i saw it of course you, you don't do yeah. that but in 1967 or 1971 like that people would hit women i don't i don't mean this in a in a way uh, offhandedly but people would hit women for less than what she right. said than what she was doing in that case and um, and the main, and then I like how they said, like, this is your grandchild, like even more than her shaming Tish and talking about how Tish ruined Fani and destroyed his life and was the bad thing to her. She's talking about this child in a way that's like the child's not even there. And she's just demeaning the child and shitting on the child. And so much, and it's like, and then his, and then, um, Mr. Hunt gets up and it's just like, that's our grandchild. Like, <laughs> That is our grandchild that you're that you're saying all this for, um, but I did like how 
again, they also brought some levity to this really, really intense scene in all the right times. Because the interaction between uh, Ernestine and those daughters were hilarious to me. She <laughs> she was not here for them at all. <laughs> she, no, she was she was so hardcore in that scene. And I love Tiona. She's one of my favorite people. Um, so to see her get to shine like that in that scene was amazing. I just... Yeah, I just love that. But here's here's the other part about the like him hitting his wife and everything like that. Uh, I'm not a person that wants to shy away from how things were. Right. So like, I don't necessarily want to see tort, you know, torture porn or, or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, it's not like there was a whole lot of violence in this movie or whatever. But the but the violence that was there was placed in such a way that everybody understood both what time it came from and what was going on there. Right. You know, that that a man at that time would feel that sense of entitlement and ownership, I guess, if you want to even put it like that, of his wife, that he could check her that way. I'm, I'm not going to sit there and say, you know, in 2018, you should have not shown that to us. I don't think that because anybody sees that, they're going to turn around and be like, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, we should go hit our wives or something like that. You know, I think it's I think it's a fair place to put violence in that particular uh, movie and especially in that scene. Um, Not, you know, not taking it lightly, not condoning it or anything like that, but allowing it for like historical accuracy. I'm okay with what we saw, Mm -hmm. but um, the reaction, the reaction of the people in the theater when I saw it, and I saw it in kind of a mixed audience, probably mostly white, but you know, some POC and some uh, non black POC, some black. You, yeah, you would, there was a lot of like, <gasps> you know, like everybody's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we just saw that. When, right. when I think a lot of us are probably anticipating it's coming mm-hmm. in yeah. some kind of form, um, you still appreciate the love. You know, what I loved is that you had such a juxtaposition of each parent. You had the father that only took a beat before he was like, great, happy for you, love you, you know, just as long as this is what you want. And then you have the father that, well, I guess they were all kind of the same, but but there's the one that would react in violence and the one that, that would be cool. Um, and then you got the two mothers and you're sitting here like, I, I kind of had closer to... Fawny's mother growing up, but I really, really wanted Regina. You know, like that was that that was a sample of a mother that I I wish I had. And then you get these nasty ass sisters, and then you get the sister that is so down for her sister. She's you know she's ready to go. Like I loved that you got to see the parallels between those sets of families. And it was um, done really, really. I mean, to me, a very black way because like oh, yeah. every character in this film, I have a family member like it. Like, I think most black people can relate to that. I don't, I mean, I'm not to say that white people don't, but I just know that there, at every character in this film, there's someone in my family that I can see doing the actions that they did in this film. Every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Regina King has got a lot of credit for this film and she deserves it. Um, but one of the other really, and especially for that scene with um, Emily in Puerto Rico, but I think another scene that's very, very underrated in this film is the scene with uh, Brian Tyree Henry's character talking to Fani in the house. And when he's talking yeah. about mm-hmm. um, how he got arrested and like he's basically like, yeah, I had some marijuana on me, but 
that ain't really a charge of sticks. So they hit me with this charge and basically how he describes going to prison and then what it's like coming out of prison back into the world. Like I, he explained it with laughter, with sadness and sorrow with like just every emotion in the book. Um, He's been killing it recently in every role that I've seen. He is killing it. Uh, so, like, what do you guys think about his his short performance, but powerful one, in my opinion? I just like to see his growth, his progression between this movie, Widows, Atlanta. Loved him in Widows. Um, I just, I, I just think that he's shown he could be jovial and quiet. He's shown that he could be menacing, and now he's shown that he can be. Unfortunately, uh, almost beaten, but not completely down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that conversation from the Newports <laughs> to the beers <laughs> to the talk, <laughs> that was a conversation that my brother and I would have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Brian Tyree Henry hit every aspect of what happens when you go to jail. No matter what the reason is you go to jail, once you get in there, they own you. And they can take you back for whatever reason they want. And the fear of the the fear or the 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 just I don't even know if it was fear or if it was just horrified reflection of what he went through in that prison while he was smoking that cigarette was some of the best acting I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And it felt the, so real. Exactly. And the theater was quiet, like a pin drop quiet mm-hmm. as he was talking about that and seeing Fonny's face as he was, you know, on the one hand, he wanted to empathize, but he knows there's no way to really empathize with this because unless you've experienced it, there's nothing you can do. So it was like a spell was cast over that that scene for both of them, both parties, both both people in that scene killed it. Um. And then it was broken. When uh, Tish walked in with the bags, all of a sudden they were all jovial and laughing again, Mm -hmm. but there was no laughter when it was just a straight man-to-man talk. That literally made me want to go home and record an episode of Unburdened. Mm. Because opening up like that to somebody, first of all, to say that you were afraid, that you were hurt, that this is happening, is so powerful and it's so hard to do and they conveyed that so well i don't know i thought that i'm sorry go ahead i was gonna say more than that in that time period for two men to show in that way so like Mm -hmm. it's it's bad enough now with the masculinity of dudes but like and for the most part guys are a little bit more open to showing weakness in 2019 than they would have been in 1971 or whenever this film took place. And See, that would hurt to even consider weakness, though, because it really, 
I think that's well, the masculinity, I don't think it's right? Weakness, but I'm saying that's how it's portrayed. That's how yeah. people would people would say that's men showing weakness or showing emotion. Because yeah. you're taught as at least like a lot of black men or men in general, but especially black men, you're taught like you got to stay strong. You got to be the rock. You got to do this. You got to do that. And then especially when you're talking to other men, it's just it's this thing that it's like, you know, I don't talk like this with other peers. Like, I just don't like I don't I don't show them. I don't show them any any shred of non masculinity because I always have to be on. And it was a it was a moment of it was a moment there where they both let their guard down and they let their guard down. They were just friends talking. And this and mm-hmm. Brian Tyree Henry's character Daniel was basically like it came off like I've been dying to give this talk to somebody. I've been dying to get this off my chest. And you're yeah. you're right here to listen to me. And Fonny was there listening and not judging him not looking down to him but just taking it all in and trying to understand where he's coming from and then when tish got there it was basically like but you know all that stuff is true but you know i still got to try to live my life and he turned he turns on the charm right away um and i thought i thought that was just wonderful acting but speaking of that uh charmaine one of the things we didn't talk about was uh fanny and tish's love story um, so what'd you think about how they scripted that and that plot line and basically them falling in love, him once he's in prison, how they interacted once she gave birth and with the child, uh, what'd you think about that whole storyline? See, I'm, I'm not always the best person to talk about the love aspects of things because I'm, I'm more sort of trained in, in like old Japanese vengeance movies and shit. So I usually <laughs> like the, the hard parts. But what I really loved, I, I guess in particular, and I don't know if you were going to talk about this scene, but in particular, what what my favorite Fawny Tish moment was how they handled their first lovemaking together. That you start off with looking at her, and then he crosses the room to go um, put on the music, and he undresses, and instead of going back and just staring at at her naked body, we get to see him in his full display. You know, he's in his tidy whities and everything like that, but we get to see his full body and her, what you would imagine, a you know, the first time girl looking at the dude from across the room, you get to see her objectification of him to a degree. And we see so little of that. Like as a female character looking and objectifying a man, it's not negative. It's not, you know, or anything like that. It's just that, we just don't get to see it. And so I loved that they focused so much more on us looking at him than we did on us looking at her. Cause I think we don't get any frontal nudity with her. I think you get a little bit of side nudity or something like that, but with him, you know, you get primarily his whole body. And I thought that that was, that felt like two nervous kids about to have sex for the first time who also love each other there. It was, it was so tender and sweet and, uncomfortable but not in a bad way and that that was the thing that i loved the most like that's when i felt like that's what early love looks like like first time love looks like and i i like that i agree and i thought it was shot wonderfully with the shadows and what i think it was raining wasn't it raining that night mm-hmm. yeah i'm pretty yeah. sure it was raining that night so the rain in the background and the music the record playing it was just 
shot in a way that was very believable. Uh, what do you think about their relationship, Rashad? Anything stand out um, with you? I love that they've loved each other and known each other since they were kids. Um, I love the way they did the bathtub scene oh, where they the had the kids wearing scene. clothing while they were in the tub throwing soap on one another. I love that. I love that they um, had him say from a very early age that I don't like going home, so I always want to be around y'all uh, because that just shows that his mom was always like that. Mm-hmm. I love that they showed uh, Tisha's surprise along with our surprise when finally starts speaking Spanish mm-hmm. to the gentleman at the restaurant. Like, mm-hmm. she didn't know he could, and neither did we, and that just made her see him in a completely different light. And she speaks on that. She's like, this might, I, I had never seen him outside of my circle, and this made me feel like this. And then the music. I go into movies. I go into the movie theater, and here's what I do every time I go into the movie theater. With the exception of today, I completely forgotten. It made me mad. But um, I go into the movies. I turn on Shazam, and I put it on auto. So every time a song comes on the movie, Shazam on my phone hears it, finds it, stores it on my Spotify, and I add it to a playlist. Oh, that's cool. That song that they played during their lovemaking was called Eros. And it is one of the most beautiful songs that I've heard on a movie in a long time. Um, And it all just, to quote quote, uh, Big Boy on Spodioti Dopalicious, it all (laughs) blends perfectly. To let the liquor tell it. Um, I I couldn't have thought of a better way to show, like, everything that they did in that scene made it seem like the perfect evening. It made it seem like this is the right time. Like, this is that time to do this. And it didn't in any way, shape, or form seem out of place. And it all seemed so tender. Like, he was scared of hurting her, and Mm -hmm. she was scared of taking that next step, and he was aware of it. And it was just like, he stopped. And he was like, I love you, and I'm going to always love you. And you just knew that that they were in the same place. Yeah. Also, I thought she was phenomenal in this film. Uh, the scene in the grocery, I mean, not the grocery store, in the department store, where she's describing, like, oh. what it's like to be this black woman in this world. And so she's like, this is what happened when a black man comes. And this is what happened when a white man comes. And this is what happened that when a fucking woman scene. Comes. And that scene was very, like, I've heard some from some different black women that they were kind of a little triggered from that scene. Because they, oh, yeah. they've experienced stuff like that. And I never thought of like, I knew of, like, the, like, just, like, this thing that, like, people do with women and black women specifically about, like, oh, what does your hair feel like? What is this texture? Like, this and that. But the way they shot, the way she was explaining it and showing it with her nonverbal cues, it was just really hard. Um, yeah, Charmaine, did you have something to say about that scene? 
Yeah, and in terms of the triggering aspect, and maybe I buried it because until you said it, I hadn't recalled that scene again. Um, but you know, defense mechanisms kicking in. Uh, I've been, I've had that happen where, and there was one time when I was with my husband before we were married. We were basically just together, and I, in the way that I think a lot of women do. Something happened like that where somebody kissed, picked up my hand without my permission and, and kissed it in a way. And it was kind of kind of like on the slide trying to say, like, you don't need to be with that dude. And he was kind of walking slightly ahead of me and I was holding his hand. And so I did everything I had to do to make sure that Tree never saw what happened until we walked away. Because I didn't because that guy who grabbed my hand was. Uh, with three other dudes and it was just me and tree and not that he's never fought or couldn't fight but I don't want to see him fight three against one you know for something that I could kind of keep to myself until we got far enough away and that's exactly what happened as soon as we I got away you know I got my hand away and and they shoved off and I waited till we got out of the out of the store and into the mall further when I said what had happened. And then his instant reaction was to turn back around and run in that direction. But, um, but like, I, but then at that moment I was like, but I need you here right now. Like I need you to deal with me and my feelings of what's going on. Um, and, and it's not the only time it's happened, but it's one of the, it was what I thought of the second I saw that the, the older white man do the hand kiss thing that, that one really fucked me up. But every example that she's, she showed, like the the black man that is still objectifying me but somehow showing me that he's going to respect the distance that's a creepy moment that, that I've experienced before then the, then there's the one who who wants you and it doesn't matter what your situation is that's the one you know with the with the guys in the mall that I had and then there's the old white man which is a situation with a workplace that I had that I'm no longer at so that <laughs> that scene like I'm sitting here just tensing up and my hands are, are clenching and things like that. And I had to, and I don't normally go damselly, but I had to lean into my husband during that scene because I was like, I'm not in a good place watching this. Like I'm looking at her, not just as, you know, a woman, but I'm actually looking at her as a girl like, in that moment. Like she's still a teenager and she's, she's in the situation that she's in. Uh, my empathy was really high for her and I wanted to protect her at the same time. I'm trying to deal with my own feelings about that. That's the other part of this movie is I think also with the Brian Tyree Henry scene and with this scene and a couple others, there's moments where like, you feel like you need self care after some of these scenes, yes. <laughs> you know, they were so, even though they weren't crazy trauma porn style, but they were just so there's so much feeling and everything you had to come down. And I think, Barry Jenkins could like paste it in such a way that when you saw something really uncomfortable, the next thing you saw was a flashback to something beautiful, their date, their walk or something like that would, would follow a scene where you had some discomfort. And I think that helped, you know, you kind of get through and maneuver through watching the more painful scenes. Yes, I agree hundred percent. Rashani, did you uh, have any feelings about that scene in the department store? You know what? It's it's interesting that Charmaine says that she didn't even think about it till you mentioned it, because I don't remember it at all. Oh really? I don't. 
I don't remember it one bit, and I could lie and say all these sort of things and all these <laughs> pithy quotes and all that kind of stuff. But real talk, I I don't remember it. It came and it went, and another thing happened that was just like something that struck me as closer. And and when we get further into this review, and I tell you about the life that I lived, like it'll make sense why some things stand out more than others. But unfortunately, I, I might have been in the bathroom. No, I'm not even going to lie because I didn't get up. I didn't. I thought about it. I thought about getting a refill on my soda. I didn't get up. I just don't remember it. I think um, that one is more intense for, for either women or, and forgive me for saying it the way I'm going to say it, uh, delicate and or feminine men. Right. I, I think I think both of us would have, or both types would have that type of an experience. And, and now I want to remember what happened. That's the, that's the... Well, the reason why it stood out to me was just how it was shot, just from a purely film perspective. They gave her a, a monologue, so she was basically a narrator. And so she's narrating the scene, and it's shot in a way where, like, if you watch TV shows or sitcoms when they're, when they're doing, like, a montage, so they'll do, like, a montage at work or, like, people coming up to them. Like, a, if you work at a counter... And then the p- different people come up to the counter when they're like, oh, the close yes. up POV. Yes. Okay. So, I remember that part where she's standing behind the counter. She's a perfume lady. Yes. Okay. So she's standing okay. there. And, go ahead, Charmaine. What's crazy about it, too, with, with that close POV is that even though you don't see her, even though it doesn't flip to her often um, you, and she's narrating you feel her objectification. Like, yeah. you feel her EBGBs in that moment really hardcore. You don't even have to see her to know how gross some of those moments and are. And the whole time this is going on, she's pregnant. So I know. on top of that, so she's probably already dealing with being pregnant. And then she's out there working probably more hours than she needs to be because she's trying to raise money for Fonny's lawyer. And then these things are just happening to her. And the way she describes them with such detail, like just the detail of how she's feeling, it just, it was, it was, for me, it was just an incredible scene to see brought to life and something that like, as a man, I probably don't like ever think about, like just yeah. ever think about from that, that perspective. Um, also, by the way, Kiki Lane is, um, she is politicking to be Storm when the next X-Men comes out. Oh. Which I'm like, yes, please. She could actually absolutely pull that off. So uh, hopefully she'll get what she wants. But yeah, there's a lot of articles like Hollywood Report all over the place talking about her um, wanting to be Storm and like pushing to be Storm um, mm. in the next time Storm is played in a movie. So uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully we, we'll see. That. And by the way, of course, Alexandra Ship got mad about it. You know. Oh, but I've since learned about her problematicness, and I didn't even realize it before. Oh, yes. <laughs> like mm-hmm. she's she's pretty. Th- this is where like this is where my mixed hackles get really high up. It's like I already have to fight for you know certain things because like I'm lighter than light, right? You know, like I'm not even necessarily on the same brown spectrum of being a black. I have black features, but I'm mostly yellow and stuff like that. So when a light skinned girl is out here doing hardcore colorism stuff that shit really pisses me off because then the then the gaze will turn back over to someone like me and and it's like oh you think you look better and you think of this or whatever when i'm sitting there trying to be darker my whole life because that was my complex when when she starts tweeting and stuff like that i'm just like oh gosh can we just 
can we just finally pull somebody out of Ethiopia to play Storm and call it a day and no more of this, you know, and I'm about to say it, a mixed girl is about to say it, no more of these mixed girls out here fucking up Storm for us, please. Like, uh, it just, yeah, she she gets my hackles, my, mix, my mixed hackles way up with that stuff. And she didn't really even do Storm, so. Well, yeah, also they didn't let her speak in Apocalypse either. She had like four lines. She had like four lines, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so getting back to Bill Street, um, so there's a couple more things I wanted to talk about, a couple more scenes that were, uh, interesting to me. Uh, Rashani, how'd you think about how they played, uh, Fani's lawyer? Because they show some interesting scenes with him, like, initially helping out, and then, like, him meeting with all, like, the rich, like, high ups in the city, and what they were talking about, and then him basically, like, getting involved really heavily involved into the case because he felt it in a certain way like what do you think about how they portrayed the lawyer like i said at some point i'm gonna tell y'all more about my past and then it's gonna come to light why i felt some of this stuff so strongly but fuck that lawyer really okay fuck him fuck that dude because based of the white the saver fact, aspect that and based on the fact that he wasn't really invested in it until, yeah, until yes until there's always an until like mm-hmm. they were like hey to see tish come in there like call him funny you're gonna be family and really try and draw him in and him backing up from it and 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 i mean he did his job but it felt like he didn't do enough like he could have done more it felt like he held back on helping them out until he was he those white around. critics that I was talking about yeah. earlier. Essentially, it took until he actually saw the blatant racism that was going on. Like, till mm-hmm. he saw it, like, when he went to the courtroom and met with the judge and just saw the contrast between how Fani was getting treated and how other clients he's had in the past would get treated. And then, once he saw that, then he got invested. And it, to me... It could like and to, to be to Rashani's point in how you could say fuck the lawyer. It was almost like it was it, it took an insult to him. Like it was basically like, right? You would treat my client like this, like because he's black. My client? No, I'm not gonna let that happen. And mm-hmm. and he gets involved as opposed to when they first show up to him. He, I mean, he's not. And he's and here's the thing where there's like levels and like. When you watch certain news stories or even on the news, written news, people on Twitter, white people in general, every, every most white people get the person that calls people nigger, the, the, the Nazi, like the just out and out skin, like skinhead from the past KKK. They all get that. Like, not all, but you know, the overwhelming majority of them understand that that's racist and that's wrong. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that they think that's the level of being racist. So like, so often right. you watch the news and it'll be like, there's such and such what they say is racist. And if they didn't call somebody the N word or say like black people are stupid or it's just something so direct, it's always like a debate. Well, was it racist? Was it not? When we, when we hear those things, we go, Oh yeah, that's racist. Yeah. That's, that's racist. He that was, they don't even believe that microaggressions could be considered an actual thing or part of racism in any way, shape, or form. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that lawyer was basically like, uh, all right, I mean, I'm going to do my job and help you out, but I got to figure this out. And then he realized, like, no, 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 this is racism, and I can't beat racism. 
And the racism was the villain. I said it before, but it was the villain of this film. And I like how the film ended because in a lot of films, it would be, oh, Fonny got off. Luckily, something happened, he got off. But no. Mm-hmm. So often, racism does win. It does not... Basically, what I, I did a written review on this, and, and what I said in the written review was, oftentimes, racism doesn't win the war. Like, black people persevere. We fight through. We still try to have enjoyable lives and fight through the racism. But it can win battles. And it won that battle. It won mm-hmm. that battle for that, for that particular event. But Fani and Tish weren't going to lo- let that win the war. It wasn't going to, he wasn't going to let that end his life and him being a father to his son. And Tish wasn't going to let that end the love they have for each other and raising her son. And they were like, yeah, that, you won that battle racism, but we're going to fight through that war. And the lawyer had to get with that. Uh, but contrast to that, Charmaine, what'd you think about the scene where they finally get the house with the Jewish guy? <laughs> oh, okay. So, there's, Franco. there's background about this. I have personal interactions, experiences that I've had with the Franco brothers, like because I work in the industry and things. So I have a really hard time separating who they are on screen with who they are, the guys that I've met. Okay. Mm. So I'm putting that out there because I'm not going to be kind about him. <laughs> um, okay, what I think was sweet or whatever about the scene is I like the pretending the the you know the like here's my fridge, help me move the fridge. I, I thought that was a sweet scene. It was goofy and sweet, but they're young teenagers playing house. That scene makes sense to me. But Dave Franco's whole little speech about he's his Jewish mother's child and that somehow that's enough of a fucking explanation as to why he has empathy for black people. Fuck you right now. (laughs) Like seriously with what's going on with Israel and everything like that right now and how you can't talk about bad things Jewish people do without being accused of anti-Semitism and stuff. Like I hate that they get this extra word for racism geared towards them. And then on top of it, they get to come in and be the understanding white people towards black people in movies. And this happens very often. And in particular in this scene, I kept saying, I, and I was, it was one of the moments where I'm talking in the theater where he's like, I'm just my, you know, why are you helping us out? I'm just my mother's son. I don't know what to say. How is that a fucking explanation, Dave? Why don't you get in there and tell us what you learned in your life to explain why you understand black people are human and don't give me some bullshit like I'm supposed to just accept that Jewish mothers know how to teach you how to be empathetic. That may be a stretch for the scene, but that was shit was all I was thinking about the whole time. That and I have some personal background on them that I can't separate. So, <laughs> so those are okay. those are my feelings. No, that's what about you, Rashani? Um, okay. <laughs> um, I will give you every aspect of that because I've had situations where I see somebody who everybody else is saying that was a good thing or a good whatever, and I'm like, I know them in real life, and they didn't mean any of that. So I feel that. Um, I thought that that scene played out in the 80s would have had a teenage love playing in the background. <laughs> I, I, it just it felt so purely we are going to make this work off of our love sort of a scene. Uh, nothing's going to stop us. And I love the fact that Tish got involved in 
the uh, the the imagining and 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 that they could actually start to see their future finally coming together in that neighborhood. Um, Dave Franco's Dave Franco's part was honestly just a way to show that there's a good white person somewhere in New York City. Yes, <laughs> um, I think that. Because right before that happened, she was talking about how, uh, or uh, Fani was talking about how Tish found a, a spot and went there. And then when he showed up, the white guy found out that he wasn't going to be able to Mac on Tish. So he was like, I got to give it to somebody else. And then they immediately went to Dan Franco. Um, well, they did have that old lady uh, in the store stand up for them against the cop. But she was Hispanic. Yeah. What? She was Hispanic. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's I what remember. I thought, and I thought it was. I thought that that was again the Puerto Rican family. Uh, Maria's family is it Maria? Let's clarify Victoria. that. Victoria. Victoria's family, and and then the store owner were. I figured they were Puerto Rican, and they were showing that we can stand together, especially back in the seventies when they were thinking that we were really going to go to war with one another. Right. But. Uh, I, I just I thought that the scene of the imagining was bigger than the scene with Dave Franco. I thought that he was white folks can give any reason for why they're being nice people. It's Tuesday. That's why I'm giving you the house. It's Tuesday. Honestly, if he one... just said that, that would have been better. And, and that would have been a great scene. If if he because like Charmaine said, I don't need you to tell me that. But if he'd have been like, um. Because that's what I'm supposed to do. Like if it just says something like that, even if it like, was just because you have money, yeah, and, and I'm trying me. to rent some shit. Like if you, you, you yeah. can pay me, yeah. Like if you just said it, like it doesn't have to be because what they want you to think is, oh, the Jewish people they dealt with the Holocaust and they're and so they understand the black thing. And here's the thing. Like I took I and when I was getting my MBA, I had to take a economic development class, and I read like a bunch of books and stuff and history stuff on like uh, redlining and like when they used to be back in the day and not letting certain people get houses in certain neighborhoods and things like that. And they and, and in certain cities they used to put the Jewish people and the black people in the same neighborhood. Like they would say, "You guys, you go live over here." The Irish people, y'all go live over here, and the rest of us, we can live in all these other places. And and so I, I get that. But that was, like, way back in the day. And even then, what you learn in the class, and what obvious is what they say, is that the Jewish people began to assimilate into general American, quote-unquote, culture. And so they moved over time away from being what they were back back in the early 1900s and things like that and so i say all that to say like well we see more anti-semitism quote-unquote now since trump's got elected unfortunately we see that coming back but it's still not it's still it's still that you couldn't be jewish for the most part and operate in your everyday life so i don't need you to tell me that because my mom's jewish that's why I think this way. Because okay, maybe it is. Maybe maybe your mother was a Holocaust survivor, and you go, I don't want to treat anybody like that. Okay, fine. But I don't. I don't necessarily. That doesn't need to be stated in order for me to think. Well, that's the case with every Jewish person. 
So yeah. I think it would have been a better scene if he did if because like I'm not not I'm not being racist this way, but when you saw him, you knew he was a Jewish person, and yeah. so. I think they should have left that untold. That was one of my only, uh, not even complaint, because it's not that serious, but like if they would have not brought that up in that way and let and let it be known, because obviously he had his yarmulke on, like let it be known, yes, this person is Jewish, and then he just said something like, yeah, I was just not raised that way. I was just raised to treat everybody. Yeah, before. like even that yeah. would have been better. Yeah, because raised. saying it like I'm my mother's son implies to me had the flavor of all Jewish mothers teach their sons right type of thing, you know, as if it's not possible for Jews to be racist towards people, you know, black people, people of color in general. And I, you know, I heavily disagree with that. I think that they tend to get a pass because they've suffered you know they get to they get a pass on racism because they suffered and then they also have a special term of racism just towards them and there was stuff in that scene that made me think of that so that's why i got all kind of been out of shape um rashani were there any other parts of this film that you want to talk about hold on um I, I do appreciate the fact that they showed Fani not so much losing hope in prison, but just when they showed him beaten, they showed just a little cut. They didn't show him getting beat up or anything, but they showed him beaten, and they showed him beaten. You know what I'm saying? Like emotionally, they yeah, showed yeah. him beaten, and they showed him beaten physically. And that was as far as they went. They didn't show what happened behind those walls. They didn't show a bunch of black men uh, forming gangs or anything like that, any stereotypes. They just... The most dramatic thing that happened in that prison was when she got a contraction or or the baby kicked and she collapsed. I thought they handled that very gracefully the prison scenes and they were all just a continuation of a story like her saying this where we're at just stay with me baby we got this just stay where we're at i thought that was really nice um as far as the connections for me because everybody I think has a different reason for seeing this movie in a different light. My mom, it's like Tish's mom. My wife's mom is like Fani's mom. Oh, wow. The siblings aren't the same way, but they're close. And um, so I've experienced that that shaming under the guise of Jesus loves you. I've experienced the you're not good enough for my daughter um, firsthand. Um, the shunning and, and all that kind of stuff and bringing up Bible verses and and and, and one step away from speaking in fake tongues. I've, I've experienced all of that. And I've experienced her, my, my wife's dad is just like Fonny's dad. They're not together anymore, but he's always like, yo, I know what you're going through. 
I went through it. Really great guy, really nice guy. I could sit back and have a drink with him and just talk. Um, I've been in situations where I was uh, incarcerated for a while. Nothing big. It was a childhood mistake. But I know enough to know that, A, when I got out, I had a lawyer, a white lawyer, who we thought was going to save the day and get us out of this issue, who made things worse. Because he just couldn't not put his white stamp on something. Mm-hmm. He had to, he saw, he didn't care about anything but the money until suddenly he cared. And then when he cared, he made everything worse. And I've had that situation with family members where they've been incarcerated like long term for small things and they get locked up for years. And they come out and they just want to warn everybody else. And I'm telling you, going to jail, going to prison and getting out is like climbing out of hell with your bare fingers. And you want to warn everybody else about avoiding the place that you were just at. So to see Brian Tyree Henry talking about it made me think about my cousins. And how they would say, as soon as you're in. That's why I said it. As soon as you're in, they can take you back at any time. That was my cousin's biggest fear. At any time, they can come and get me. And there's nothing I can do. Hmm. And yet, all of these things that I'm processing. And all these things that I'm reflecting on and relating to. All of this hardship that they went through in this movie. It was also beautiful because the family unit, Tisha's family unit, never faltered. They never left her. They never abandoned her. And that's how my mom and my brother were. They took us in. They never abandoned us. This movie was so just music it was water on the tongue of a parched man and even the hardest parts to watch the 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 way that they shot it was beautiful like everything had a moment everything stood out even the lights the light in her eyes when they were looking at each other the way that they shunned, like you said initially, the way that he made the black people in this movie look. When they were walking down the middle of the street in New York after they got their apartment, just walking right down the middle of the street celebrating, and it all just seemed so natural. It felt like when I got my first apartment, everything just seemed clearer and more beautiful. This was the life that our parents lived. That's 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 one thing that kept hitting me. This is the life that somebody that you know right now lived and they never want to talk about it. The struggles for the smallest things, dealing with cops that can do all sorts of things to you. This is the life they lived. And it was also beautiful. 
I'll buy this movie when it comes out. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I will ask everybody to watch it. And if they don't want to watch it, it'll just mysteriously show up on TV one day and we're all together. And they'll stop and they'll watch it. Because it's just all so perfect. Yeah. And we're going to do an Oscars preview. The nominees come out tomorrow morning uh, when this is recorded. Uh, and I'm pretty sure this is going to get some quite a It should get at least quite a few um, nominees in a variety of car- uh, categories. Um, Charmaine, anything else you want to talk about this film? There was something that I thought of earlier and then it kind of escaped me again. Um, I think there was something to the music. Uh, Roshani, you mentioned the Eros mm-hmm. song and I think, um, oh, now I've got there. Uh, so I was listening to Barry Jenkins talk on a podcast where he was saying, someone had asked him, like, you know, you're telling the story of a, of a you know, mostly from the perspective of a woman or a young a young girl. How did you, how did you get there? You know, how were you able to tell a story that felt so authentic or whatever? And one of the things he said was, um, I realized my limitations as a man and I reached out to black women and they told me when I was wrong and I listened. And I think um, that is the difference between what could have been just a good movie to what turned out to be a great movie is that he he wanted to tell the story. And even though it was written by a man and everything, you know, and then it's being directed by a man and, and uh, adapted by a man and everything like that, that he he stopped to listen to the other black women in his life and and trust that when they told him how they would have reacted to certain scenes that he you know if they were that person in that scene or whatever that he listened and really tried to to form the art in that direction and I think you can really tell because there are some moments from her perspective from um, Tisha's perspective from uh, Regina's perspective from uh, Victoria's perspective too that felt so yes that's exactly how that would happen that I think um I think that's probably one of the biggest wins of this movie for me is that even though it was done by a man, it, it felt like authentically female. Yeah, I agree. I loved every part of this film from start to finish. Uh, I was so glad when I got the screener for it because I wasn't sure if it was going to be out in theaters near me. I know some people have been having trouble seeing it because it hasn't had a uh, nationwide release even as of yet. Um, where it's basically everywhere. I'm sure it'll be there. They'll probably do it a couple weeks before the Oscars to get a nice little push then. Um, but, um, yes, if you if this movie is in your area, go see this film. Mm-hmm. Um, last thing, uh, out of 10, what do you give this film, Rashani? If Regina King doesn't get an Oscar for this, something's wrong. If the person who does the cinematography for this doesn't get an Oscar, something's wrong. Um, I, I'm just, I'm just glad that I saw this after I saw Aquaman to wash that taste out of my mouth. <laughs> Did you do it in the same day? Wasn't there a day that you saw like a bunch of movies in one day or something? Yep, yeah, but this one, nope. I saw it three days later because they weren't showing it in my neighborhood in my area, which is. A, a crime but um 15 okay I'm 15 out of 10 say something like that uh Charmaine what about you 
Um, yeah, I mean, let's go ahead and say it was a 10. <laughs> yeah, I or, a, or a 9.5 just because of uh, Dave Franco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a perfect out of 10 for me. Uh, I don't... Like I don't see any reason why anyone who watches this movie won't love it. I think yeah, I think it was shot in a way that was authentically black, but that white people should be able to understand. And I'm saying that in terms of uh, buzz that it gets and reception that it gets and the moviegoers experience. I think it's it was shot in in a way and acted in a way that any decent person can get it. And I think he, they were able to explain stuff. But there were other nuances that only people who've experienced those things would get. But it was also written in a way, shot in a way that everybody can get the overarching themes of all the scenes. And uh, you know what it was? What is? It's it's the time to kill of painting the picture of a story and then ending with now imagine if she was white. It just it's just a movie that shows the humanity of people. And you're falling in love with them and you're seeing all the things, the painful things and the and the, the happy things. And you're just seeing people, but they're going to keep trying to convince you it's, it's, it's black, it's black, it's black. I feel like this is an extremely human picture who just happens to have some real black moments. And white people should be able to watch it and be like, oh, this is just people. But they're not. They're going to see it as a black movie. And at this point, uh, Barry... Uh, studios, if anybody from studios are listening, uh, if Barry Jenkins wants to do something, I think you just say yes at this just point. Just say yes. Like, I think it's just yes. Like, yes, sir. Uh, maybe. Like, whatever <laughs> whatever you would like, uh, sir. Um, because uh, this in Moonlight, like, man, like, similar to, like, Coogler, when he just did uh, Fruitvale Station and Creed and Black Panther, uh, you got dudes hitting a, a thousand percent. Like, if, yeah. if and you, they're only on their third major motion picture. Yeah. Like, both of them. If if you're hitting a hundred percent, um, yes, like, yes, just say yes. That's all. That's say all I gotta yes. say. Just say yes. Um, all right. Before we get out here, Rashani, uh, were you able to edit and get out the episode with Shante and Stephanie? Yep, and I wasn't. I, I was not disappointed by it. It's a thirst trap. <laughs> <laughs> So but it's a it's a it's a good thirst trap that y'all should listen to because in between them talking about thirsty stuff, they also mentioned stuff that I would have never thought to talk about, and it actually changed the way I want to do this podcast. Oh. Um, so I'm not going to say anything more than that, except for it was an excellent show because, as usual, when you put Shantae and Stephanie together, great things happen. So <laughs> I would encourage each and every one of y'all to check that out. Yeah, go listen to the single simulcast. And uh, can you talk about some of your other projects you've been working on? I know you're doing the Unburdened podcast with the black men talking about mental health and storytellers. What else you got going on? Uh, right now, right now, the premier thing that I'm trying to do is raise money for my youth basketball teams. Uh, somebody, we're not going to say who because we don't know, honestly, literally stole all of my team's basketball equipment basketballs uh hurdles um everything and so my wife and i have been repurchasing this stuff but we don't have any real we have one good basketball and we have uh at this point in time i have three teams 
So we've been trying to do a fundraiser to raise money to get equipment for these youth basketball teams. I have a fifth and sixth grade team. I have a fifth and sixth grade AAU team. And then I have my JV team. Uh, and then pretty soon I'll be starting up a uh, team that goes from eight-year-old to 11-year-old. And we need equipment for these kids. Uh, I, I don't want to be one of those coaches who goes out and just says, hey, y'all, let's work on bounce passes today. Okay, you did great. Go home. I want to be a coach that actually is able to affect change in these kids' lives. I want them to walk away from basketball or this season falling in love with basketball and having the skills to be able to have the confidence to be excellent no matter what they endeavor to do in the sport. And to do that, I need help. Uh, right now we are at uh, – we've raised $185. We're asking for $400. Bucks. Um, and the money – I've already today purchased two – uh, bungee cords so then they can get resistance training. Um, I need to buy cones. I need to buy basketballs. I need to buy dribble specs that makes it so then they can't look down when they dribble. So that's been taking up a lot of my time, just trying to uh, talk with people, uh, talk with stores and whatnot about raising money, uh, hopefully helping us out. Because um, we're in season right now and we have one basketball. Oh. Um and my shows that I'm doing, uh, Unburdened, uh, which is uh, a show that I came up with when I had literally hit rock bottom. And as I hit rock bottom, I realized very quickly that when we hit rock bottom as black people, when we hit rock bottom, there's going to be people who understand what you're going through. There's going to be people who can empathize with what you're going through. And then there's going to be people who are going to tell you to toughen up or man up. You're going to get through it. Stop looking for attention. And I experienced all three of those things in my last uh, breakdown, which was around a year ago. Maybe, maybe March, March. I didn't even tell my wife about it. I called Shante and I called my old friend Phoenix and I spoke with them. And then later on, uh, I got yelled at by Phoenix's husband, uh, who said that I was using her for emotional labor. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I apologize. I didn't know that at that point in time, I didn't know that that was a thing. And I take full responsibility because I did. I was leaning on friends uh, in a way that put more problems on them so I can unburden myself. So instead I started a podcast with two other black men and we uh, are now on our 17th episode. It just came out yesterday. Uh, and we talk one episode. We talked about uh, no sick days, how we are now conditioned to never take off sick, never take any mental health days, never do anything like that. We talked about how we put our friends in boxes. Uh, we have our ratchet friends. We have our spiritual friends. We have our uh, help me, I'm sinking friends. And we keep them very separate from one another. Uh, and we talked about the voice, how men's voices uh, can be used to abuse their children and their significant others. Um, and how we need to actively work to uh, 
help people realize that there's another way to talk to people than by raising your voice because it used to be a sense of pride that I don't even have to hit my kids. All I got to do is raise my voice and they come. It shouldn't be that way. So Unburdened, uh, I do The Dream Team, which is my comedy show. Uh, it's straight, well, it was straight comedy. It used to be straight comedy with myself, Adjective J, and Scarfinger. Um, but then after, like I said, the last breakdown, I started talking with them about mental health because I didn't care what they thought. And I started talking with them about uh, issues in the community. I started talking with them about uh, whenever they would say something about something that was sexist or uh, something that could be looked at as anything problematic, I was the first one to tell them that ain't right. And now we've gotten to the point where if you listen to our first episode and you listen to our latest episode, they sound nothing alike uh, because we've been checking each other about racism, about uh, homophobia, about uh, sexism, about abuse, about all these things we've been checking each other. And it's just so interesting to see the growth of these three men uh, throughout the years. Um, and then I do Storytellers, which is uh, four people. Uh, each We draw three cards. Um, and from those three cards, there'll be like three scene things, like uh, a mistake you can't take back, the circus, and a person with a master plan. And from those three cards, uh, we'll make a story. And the way that it works is that uh, the first person, because we draw straws to get the order, the first person will tell a story that's about three to five minutes or a segment of the story. And then they take their part and they send it to the next person because we don't, we all do this privately. So the first person opens up the story and then they send it to the next person. The next person hears their part of the story, continues that story for three to five minutes. And then after they get done, they send just their segment to the third person. So the third person never gets to hear the first person's segment. Um, they just hear what the second person has talked about and they tell their story based on that. And then they take their segment of the story, they send it to the fourth person. And the fourth person has to end the story without hearing anything from the first half. That's awesome. So it's a combination of telephone and uh, storytelling, two of the oldest inventions in storytelling, improv improvisation and uh, telephone. And then we all get together after all four segments are done and we sit down and we each listen. We listen as a group to uh, the story and we find out what exactly was on each other's minds when we wrote it. And it's been poignant. It's been hilarious. It's always a different story. Um, and I, I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, every one of my shows are now available on Anchor because it's free. Um, and they're also available on Spotify and Apple and the singlesimulcast.com. But if y'all do anything after hearing this, donate. My kids are great kids. They are. They're, they're, they're my kids. You know, and, and, and they just want to play ball. But we need help to get there. How can they donate? Uh, they can actually, I'll send you the link to the okay. uh, Amazon wish list. And then there's also a, a donation page. It's at the top of the single simulcast uh, page on Facebook. Um, 
but they can just i have that it's completely transparent like you can go on the wish list and order us a basketball but basketballs cost 55 dollars they cost 55 dollars a piece how am i gonna 10 basketballs is 550 dollars damn i need help and even if i get 400 dollars, i'm still not gonna be able to get 10 basketballs that's crazy i need help Uh, go do that. Um, that will be in the show notes, so you can be able to click on that link, and let's all help uh, Rashawn and the kids out. Uh, Charmaine, what do you got going on? Uh, let's see. I mean, militantly mixed. I I have I have a a hard episode coming up this coming to or tomorrow, I guess. Um, where I talk to someone that's a little bit problematic partway through. <laughs> But we also deal with the topic of the two N-words um, and how different they are and how it affects people and things like that. So we get into that and we get into um, fear of the police, police brutality, things like that. So, you know, we, we're we dealing with heavy issues, a little bit less about mixedness and more about blackness on that episode. Um, I still haven't figured out what we're going to talk about on Blurred Comics this week, but we'll figure it out. We'll record tomorrow and figure it out. <laughs> and... Um, the, we, we got a, a couple other podcasts that are coming down the pipe, and so I am looking for folks that are willing to send me voicemails about the first time they ever had experiences doing anything. So I have one guy who sent me a message about the first time he solo piloted an airplane unexpectedly. Um, you know, the, I, I got a guy who tells me he's going to tell me the story that the first time he... He got a blowjob and it ended up as a bloody mess. I got somebody who just told me a simple story about vandalism. So it's um it's a show about people telling their first time experience doing anything. Um, so if people are willing uh, to participate. I have a question. Huh? Was that guy in the process of getting water for his blowjob? <laughs> He didn't. He hasn't got it all the way through yet. He's told me bits and pieces of it, but every time I show up with my recorder, he's on break or he's not there or whatever. So, um, so I'm still waiting to get his full story. So I don't have the full picture of that one yet. Oh, oh, you didn't get it. You didn't watch the. Um, did you watch the Fire Festival doc? Oh no, I've I didn't. Oh. <laughs> I didn't. I was wondering what everybody's been posting about lately because I haven't seen it yet. I'm, that's funny. Yeah, yeah you, no, that's, yeah, that's I, me missing a mark right there. Oh, yeah, you've got to <laughs> wait till you watch that. <laughs> no, okay. no, you wait till you watch that. Uh, but I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. Um, yeah, so that, uh, oh, so that phone number for them to leave voicemails for is 323-545-6001. And that's any comments or questions or whatever that they want to give to Militantly Mixed, Black Radical Queer, uh, blurred comics or our soon to be new podcast first time I ever um, and uh, yeah that, that's what I got going on alright cool uh, so thank you everybody for listening make sure you go check out all of Rashani's shows all of Charmaine's shows subscribe to them help them out let's all donate to Rashani help them out um, because uh, the kids need to play and we need to help them play um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Anywhere you get your podcast at, leave us a five-star review. It helps us out a lot. Um, and we're going to be continuing to drop these movie reviews coming soon. So just keep an eye out on them. And thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you later.
Life's like a movie. 